Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hello and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 44. I am John Davis and joining me for today's podcast in MotorWeek Central Studio C is our above average group, road test producer and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Thank you for that, John. And our over-the-edge reporter, Stephen Chupnik. Hey, hey. And staff writer, Shamit Choksi. Hi, John. All right, coming up, we'll have our lightning round. We'll also dive into our MotorWeek mailbag and try and come out alive. But first, we have an electrifying program for you uh-huh. today because we're going to talk about modern electric cars. The, the year of the electric car, 2010, is not only here, but it's grow, going fast. We've had a bevy of EVs of one form or another uh, through our shop in the last 90 days. And uh, we're going to start talking about uh, two of the uh, EVs that have been full in the press, and everyone's talking about them. And I'm Brian Robinson. I'm going to start yes, with sir. you. The Nissan Leaf. Yes. You've had more time in it than anybody else on the staff, so give us your impressions. Well, of as you mentioned, we have driven a lot of EVs so far this summer. This is the first one to me that feels like a real car that I would actually buy and live with on a daily basis. It's got a 100-mile range, uh, which is certainly more than the other uh, EVs to this point that I've driven. It's a very fun car to drive, uh, as fun as an electric car can be. It's got uh, you know immediate acceleration, as we're all familiar with uh, electric cars. And uh, I think they did a uh, really good job with it. Now, let's talk about some of the uh, uh, things that have been, uh, people have been critical about the car and some of the things that we brought up in our road test. Um, uh, number one is this is a pure electric car, so there's no backup system. And basically, that means that some people are worried about being caught out and it not getting them home. Uh, mm-hmm. The 100-mile range is, of course, pretty much optimal conditions. Um, the, um, when I was at the uh, uh, LEAF presentation, they were very honest and said, you know, under very horrible conditions like sub-freezing and so forth, and where you've got to use the heater a lot or the car sat outside all night, you could have as few as 60 miles. And at the other end, in an absolute perfect condition and your light on the throttle, you could do about 120 miles. So anyway, you slice it, though, even at 60 miles, since most people's commute is about 40 miles round trip, that's pretty good. They've done a lot to alleviate that range anxiety. That seems to be the hang-up with electrical cars. How far can I go? And uh, as you mentioned, with the climate control, it'll give you your mileage uh, currently, and it'll give you an alternate mileage that you could get if you turned all the accessories off. So that's good. They also have a button on the steering wheel, which I thought was a really good feature. And as soon as you uh, press the button, it brings up what they call a reachable area on the nav screen, and it'll put a map up, and it'll show you how far you could get uh, with your current state of charge, and even you know if there's charging stations in the area, you could make use of. Well, so that's uh, I think that's, a good yeah, that's the thing. I mean, aside from the car itself, infrastructure has always been the the big topic with electric cars. There is none. There is none. I I believe in what Nissan is. I don't know if I would use the word promising, but they are uh, hoping for is to set up uh, charging stations at commercial locations, rest areas, mm-hmm. and I believe they're saying as many as twelve thousand by next year. Is that about twenty twelve? I think they're saying. That okay, be, yeah. so that's pretty ambitious but if they can get those in place that 
again, takes the range anxiety away. Yeah, my problem is is that you can't buy this unless you're a city dweller and you never go outside a certain, you know, limited area. You can't buy this as your only car. It's got to be your second car. It's a lot of money for a second car. And actually, that's a problem, I think, with all of the electrics. Um, so I think it has its place. For instance, my spouse, Cheryl, she never drives more than probably 30 miles a day. It would be perfect for her. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you're at work and you get called away in an emergency or something, that's when I think it gives you a little pause. I'm also bothered a little bit by the fact that their battery system is air-cooled instead of having some kind of a cooling system mm-hmm. like some of the others. And while that is good in that it's more it's simpler and probably will be easier to maintain, I worry about stressing the batteries and heat. So all of this stuff is going to play out. Uh, the one thing that did impress me that you mentioned, Brian, is is how well it drives. It is a it's fun to drive. It's got a better acceleration is better than I expected. Handling all every all of the above. Yeah, when Brian got back from the trip, the first thing I asked him was how how was it on the road, and he not only did he say it was fun, but he said it just felt like a normal car. Like yeah, a it does. Car, it so. it feels it feels so much like a normal car that when you open the hood, the electric motor even looks like right, a right, gasoline yeah. engine, which it's just blew me away. Extremely quiet normal yeah. car, though. Uh, Stephen, you haven't said very much. Uh, you're one of the youngest folks on our staff. What? How do you take this all this new electric car stuff? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm I am young, but I'm a conservative driver and probably, you know, maybe one a little bit to the extreme. Um, I think these electric vehicles for me and other people who drive conservatively, I think are fantastic. Um, I just have a weird not it's not a phobia. It's just a weird thing about filling up gas. I just think it's a dumb thing to waste do. Waste of time. I think it's a complete waste <laughs> of time. And I think, you know, what we're going to talk about next, the, the vault and, and the leaf and all these electric vehicles, I think it's perfect for people like me because, you know, just plug in and you'll never at the gas never pump. fill up. And, you know, the the cost of charging up the Volt overnight is about 3 bucks. And when you figure if you do commute 40 miles a day, that that's pretty cheap. It's a lot cheaper than putting mm-hmm. gas into the typical car. Okay, let's move on to the Chevrolet Volt. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with the Volt, which means you probably live on another planet, uh, the Volt... GM says it is an electric car, but it does have a gasoline engine that turns a generator. And uh, it basically runs on electric current at all times, but at one point uh, in the cycle, in an, an, an extreme condition, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, there is some help from the gasoline engine. But here we have a car that has a 40-mile range under perfect conditions uh, on electric alone at highway speeds, and then the gas engine starts, and it creates enough uh, energy to keep the car going. But an electric motor drives the car. That's why GM calls it uh, an electric car. Uh, I've had more time in it probably than anybody else on the show. Like a lot of the things we said about the Leaf apply, it's comfortable, it's uh, spirited, uh, it handles well, although I think it probably is handled, doesn't handle quite as well as the Leaf. It certainly uh, is uh, would do most small families uh, very adequate. The big thing is with this gasoline generator and a 9.3-gallon gas tank, if the batteries run down, you can drive 300 more miles. So there is no range anxiety. However, if you commute short distances every day, say, 20, you know, 20 miles one way, and you basically will never use much gas, and the gas will get used up only to keep the engine, you know, fluid and, and working well. 
like the Leaf, it's got a very modern interior. Uh, one thing the Leaf has that the Volt does not have, the Leaf does have five seat belts. Uh, the Volt has only four seats. However, neither, even the Leaf, that fifth seat belt's a pretty small person has to be in that spot. Both are hatchbacks, so they've got ver- good versatility. And um, the because the Volt has a smaller battery, it will recharge faster overnight. Having said that, it's more expensive than the Leaf. So, you know, you get the extended range. You can live with the Volt as your only car, um, but it comes at a, an added price. I was really surprised on the Volt that you, the battery never gets charged from the engine. Well, so they've, they've dream, gone back and forth of that. Yeah. It charges a little. They they First, they said it was going to charge the battery. Then they said it didn't charge the battery. It just kept the motor running. The most recent stuff, and I think this is part of the problem, GM keeps changing its tune a little bit, is apparently some of the juice from the generator does go back to the battery. So there will be a point in time where you'll your engine will stop running and you'll go back to battery power or no? My understanding is that you would probably have to drive a very long way for that. They still say, quote, unquote, uh, you know, the best way to do it is to plug it in. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the vote, I still think that people are, I mean, you just outlined what the vehicle is. I think out there, people still don't know exactly what this thing is when they hear gas gas engine in there. Uh, they're thinking hybrid. This is not a hybrid. though. In one weird sense, it is. The powertrain is uh, defined by two separate systems. Yeah, we'll talk uh, about that a little bit more because right. that actually is uh, what our lightning round question is going to be about. And then the second thing I just yeah. wanted to say, John, you're, you're talking about uh, the price between the price difference between the two. Yeah, you're right. The Volt is more expensive. But uh, in terms of leases, uh, ah, it's good a point. much, much more pl- uh, level playing field. Uh, it's a very completely uh, level the same, yeah. playing yeah. field. I mean, uh, they're a dollar apart. Right. And actually, that brings up a very good point, Shamit, because I don't think anybody should buy these cars if you can lease them. That's what I was thinking. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense because the battery technology and everything else is going to progress rapidly. And by the time your three-year lease is over, we could be looking at vehicles that have 50% more range, and you'll wish you had that. Right. So my, uh, my guess is that most people will lease them. Another uh, aspect of, of the LEAF is uh, lower maintenance costs, as there's no gas engine to or transmission, you ever have to change fluid in or service in any way? So That's true there, right. and both cars have a long eight-year um, uh, battery warranty. Right, right. Uh, on the other hand, the Volt is a very complicated car. It's got two cooling systems, uh, uh, so you've got to. But you do have a situation where the batteries can be maintained at a proper temperature, regardless of uh, what the climate is. So. I think you can make arguments back and forth for both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one one basically will suit you if uh, you limited needs, and the other basically can be a, a complete car replacement. Uh, and I think that we'll see more of both. I mean, the iMeve uh, from Mitsubishi is going to come in. It'll be more like the Leaf. We've got uh, Mini E eventually will turn into a production vehicle. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the Fisker Karma is following the uh, Bolt path. So. There, there are two solid choices for this new sort of generation of cars, and that's a good thing. And there's a third choice, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Good a lot segue. of folks, nice. when you talk about uh, electric cars, they immediately say hybrids, because after all, you have an electric motor and hybrid vehicles. That's the definition. It's two powertrains. And uh, we recently had a chance to uh, spend a little bit of time with a prototyped uh, Toyota Prius plug-in hybrid. And the biggest difference is uh, that you actually can drive a more extended 
uh, range because it has a, a on pure electric than you can in a regular Prius. A regular Prius, you're limited to maybe a mile, maybe two miles at very low speeds with the onboard battery. The electric motors there just as a helper to the gas engine. Uh, the Prius plug-in hybrid, much bigger battery, and uh, several people on the staff, including myself, drove it. Uh, 13 to 14 miles, I think 13, uh, up to speeds of 70 miles an hour on pure electric alone. Hmm. At that point, the battery was exhausted, the gas engine came on, and you went about your business. So it's sort, in a lot of ways, it's um, this goes down the same path, playing back to what you mentioned, uh, Shamit, about the uh, Volt, except the big difference is in the Volt, of course, you're always running on electricity first, and in the Prius, up to now, you've been driving on gas first, but with a plug-in hybrid, you will be able to go back and forth fairly effortlessly. Uh, it was impressive. It was quiet. It was so quiet when on electric power that I drove into a parking lot and had a, a lady walk straight in front of me and stand there, and I stopped, and finally she turned around. And definitely and a problem with electric cars. It definitely parking is. lot situations. Yeah, you know, and uh, there's going to be some sound emitting, I think, that's going to be mandated and can't come too soon. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have uh, any comments about the, the whole concept of plug-in hybrids? I, I mean, the whole plug-in concept, and, and that's that's what it is. I know we had a Tesla in a few few oh, weeks right. ago. We did. And I took it home. I plugged it into my house, and the power shut off in, yeah. in, in the house. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, you know, and the, but we not had supposed to, to do that. It's not supposed to do that. And I think that's, you know, what, what the Volt is, is going to do, the Leaf is going to do, what, you know, you have a separate charging station, um, which will help with that um but but there's also a cost to that it's about two thousand dollars well that's if that's, you do the 220 now you must have plugged it into 110 a regular outlet yeah, yeah. It, it's the only one of these cars that i think is truly practical for 110 is the volt because it has a smaller battery and mm-hmm. it can charge up quicker but yes if you're going to buy the leaf or a tesla or any of these others in order to make the charging time acceptable uh, you've got to have 220, and they are saying about two grand. However, there is, you know, just like there's government uh, tax there's incentives, incentives right. on the cars, there's also a government tax incentive on getting your house wired. Right. Sure. And the yeah. Leaf actually is downright impractical with a 110. I mean, it, yeah, I think it, really it takes is. And so is the hours. Tesla. Yeah. 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 Okay, now we turn to our lightning round. And actually, this is exactly what Shamit was talking about further. We've got two minutes. Oh, yeah. And uh, critics have raised the question, including some of our staff, about the Volt's classification. GM has called it an electric car from the start, while critics say it's a plug-in hybrid. Which classification is best, and what impact does such a label have on consumers considering buying a Volt? Hmm. Uh, let me just start by saying, and then I'm going to hush up, most consumers that I've talked to think a hybrid is an electric car, so they don't necessarily right. make that definition. Uh, the definition of a hybrid is typically two powertrains. Now, if you go by that definition, um, the Volt is a hybrid. What GM is saying is you really only have electricity driving you except for very rare occasions, so they call it an electric car. To be perfectly honest, we call it an electric car, but I think my opinion is it is a hybrid. It's got two powertrains. Can't argue with that. I, uh, yeah, well, you better. You should argue. We've got a minute and 30 seconds long. Well, I think what you said is exactly what people are saying, that 
Well, you know, what is a hybrid? I don't think really pe- the, the general public really care. We're the only ones who, well, you know, critics. We're the, critics are the only ones who really care what class of vehicle it is to say, well, this class of vehicle right. is this and that. It, a, a consumer is going to buy a car because they like the car, not because of it. it's a certain class. Well, everybody wants to put a label on everything. You know, is it hard rock? Is it soft rock? Is it whatever? Classic. You know, it's, yeah. Who cares? You know, it's a car and it gets this many miles per gallon and it plugs in. It doesn't plug in. You know, hey, well, if you yeah, want to buy it, if you don't, don't. I agree with Brian. The only problem that it, it creates is when we start to compare vehicles and we start to, you know, we have segments in, in automotive. We have segments. Mm-hmm. So when we want to say, well, it's it's leading its segment in, in so-and-so, what, what segment are we talking about? Are we talking about EVs or are we talking about hybrids? You know what I mean? And that's where there's a little bit of a gray area and, and you can get confused. Yeah, and I, but I do think what you're, what you're saying is, is that we... We are entering a new era of powertrain technology. A lot of these cars are incredibly complex, and they cannot be put into a pigeonhole hmm. as we've done in the past. I don't think there was anyone waiting to buy a Volt, and then they found out, well, wait a minute, it could be a hybrid, not electric. I'm, I'm not, not getting buy it. it. No. Right. no, you're right. Uh, that was... That was Good, and I'm glad you all chimed in there because you're going to leave me stranded out there. But uh, I think we all agree that uh, if we had to to put it down on paper, we'd say that the Volt is a hybrid. I'm I'll sign up oh, on wait that. A that's what we said? <laughs> well, no, okay. seriously. No, that's, that's fine. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just good. pulling my chain. You're pulling my plug. All right, here, let's go on to our... Motor Week mailbag and see what we've got. Now, the quiz question comes from uh, Chuck, who's out in Washington State. And here we go. Chuck, this was a, a tough one. When comparing the cost of cars, how can a consumer determine the cost of maintenance over the lifetime of the car? We're all keeping cars longer than we did in the past, and this is becoming more important information in car selection. A very, very good question and a very tough one to ask. answer. I'm hoping you have a very good answer. You know, <laughs> you're throwing it back to me. Thanks. <laughs> Throw me a life preserver. All right, Chuck. Um, number one, I think your question is one of the reasons people need to give a lot of consideration to the powertrain warranty on a car. That the standard warranty from the dealership, from the manufacturer, uh, if you're Hyundai or GM or Kia or anybody with, you know, a 100,000-mile powertrain, that should be very attractive to you. If the manufacturer cuts you off at about 50000 they're taking some value away from you or they're forcing you to buy uh, some long-term warranty insurance. If you do think you're going to keep your car a long time past whatever the powertrain warranty, you very well might want to consider some kind of uh, extra warranty protection. As far as cost, uh, most cars are very reliable. I, I think you can say a rule of thumb that uh, Asian cars, are particularly uh, uh, Japanese, uh, but also Korean, and the domestic cars are going to be cheaper to maintain over their life than, say, a European car, uh, where the parts tend to be more expensive. I use as a general thumbnail that every mile you drive a car, when you factor in depreciation, insurance, and everything else, it's going to cost you about 45 cents a mile over your life. I knew you'd have a good answer. And, uh, you know, it may not cost you that now, but five years down the road it might. 
Anybody else yeah, want to I mean, 45 cents, I'm, I'm glad you came up with a number because I think in the end, that's what people want. Now, Chuck is asking, like you said, a, a tricky question. And I think the, what he's looking for is like some sort of standardized index. And there isn't one. No, there isn't. But if we're going to base it on 45 cents, I think that's that helps you look at all the uh, cars across a broad spectrum and you can make a better comparison that way. Obviously, uh, oh, I was going to say, well, go ahead. if you take care of your car... You know, regularly, if you if you don't if kill you do it, something other than routine maintenance, correct. If you you know, and in Honda, you mentioned Honda, ten years, a hundred thousand miles. They they know what kind of product they have. You know, you're gonna you're gonna keep your car probably longer if you're you're saying people are keeping it longer. I know some people only want to keep a car for five years. Well, they're gonna buy a car based on what the next five years is for. I think right. it's, it isn't, it's not a simple answer. No, it's not a simple answer, but the more you pay for a car up front, considering that almost all cars lose value, the more it's going to cost you probably over the long term. Yeah, we, people are driving their cars longer, but I think maintenance costs, they certainly require less maintenance yes. but, than they traditionally have, but uh, you know, the cost of the maintenance may have gone up though as well. Well, Chuck, I hope that uh, sort of gave you an answer, and uh, for your trouble, uh, you'll be receiving a MotorWeek T-shirt. Yes, I still Brian. can't get over the fact we talked about the Prius for like three or four minutes and didn't talk about recalls or anything like that. I'm kind of excited. Uh, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of. That's <laughs> uh, refreshing. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad we moved past. For that. once, we we didn't talk about Prius recall. I think actually, uh, hopefully, a lot of people have moved beyond that. Yeah, we're uh, past, we're past. Uh, they're very good cars, and uh, you know, it looks like they've got the next big thing in the wing. Well, that does bring to a close our MotorWeek podcast number 44. And I want to give special thanks to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and as always with the bell, producer Michelle Parker. Almost on cue, Michelle. Thanks very much for joining us for our MotorWeek podcast. And be sure to check out MotorWeek's website at MotorWeek.org and watch MotorWeek on your local public television station. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station. 